Before we get started, my name is Mitchell. Can everybody say hi, Mitchell? Hi, Mitchell. Hi. Uh, I get the pleasure as the resident legally single person here to talk about singleness, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but before we get started, I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, I'm going to give you all an opportunity to uh, pray for yourselves and your hearts and uh, your minds as we head into this time. So I'm going to pray. I'll give you a second to pray, and then I'll close this off, and then we'll get going. Sound good? Great. Thanks for responding. Lord, I thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you week in and week out. Lord, I thank you for every single one of the leaders here that dedicate their time to love the students around us, and I pray that tonight we can use our time wisely and we can have fruitful conversation that is glorifying to you. All right, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to step out of our comfort zone for just a second here. If you are in this room and you are single, stand up. No, 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 hold on, hold on. Hold on. Now, what I want us to do here... What I want us to do here, hang on, hang on. What I want us to do is to lock eyes with a cute person in the room. You're welcome. I'm kidding. Sit down. Sit down. Everybody sit down. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. Stop. You're at church. Save it for later. Okay. All right. Some of you, some of you are weird. All right, so obviously, obviously that was a joke. I'm not going to have you, that's, this isn't a dating service. But, but, that is, or what you've just experienced is what many people who enter the church experience in, an, in a rather indirect way. But that is what a lot of single people's experience has looked like, especially in the more modern church. When you show up at a church and you're single, you go to church, you join a singles group, you find a cute person that takes their faith seriously, and then you hang out, go get coffee at Woods Coffee because they're Christian. <laughs> and then the rest is history. You date for a year, have a short engagement, call it a day, you're good. But... Even though I am on team get married quick, uh, <laughs> that attitude has been pretty hurtful for a lot of people who are single and maybe people who aren't ready for a relationship, people who maybe are experiencing same-sex attraction and aren't going to get married, or somebody who just isn't ever going to get married just because that's not what they're going to be doing with their walk in the, with the Lord. But at this moment in time, I would be willing to say that many of you are chomping at the bit to get into a relationship, and if it's not all of you, it's at least my small group. Uh, but <laughs> you don't know who they are. You don't know. All right, but, but my biggest goal for today is to talk about why singleness matters, and 
how you can use this time in singleness wisely. They're all right there. They're all single. It's great. Um, but does that sound good? We're going to talk about why singleness matters and how we can use this time in singleness wisely. I'm going to tell you something pretty crazy, something that might blow your minds. As followers of Jesus, we are not inherently called to singleness or marriage. It's pretty crazy. You can look it up. No one's called to singleness, and nobody's necessarily called to marriage. But there is one thing that all of us as followers of Jesus are called to do. It's to follow Jesus. We have spent this series looking at sexuality through the lens of the greatest two commandments. Uh, we've been looking at this lens as uh, how Jesus expressed them in Matthew, that we are to love God and to love others. So let's take a look. We're going to refresh our memories. Pull your phones out. Take a look at Matthew 22, 34 through 30, or paper Bible. Those are actually better, but I just don't have one with me, so... All right, Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. Let's take a look. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Verse 41 goes on to say, And if you find yourself with an attractive person, date for a year follow it with, and follow it with a lengthy engagement to test yourself mentally. That's a joke. <laughs> All right. There it is. All right. The passage ends at verse 40. But as we saw here, our duty as followers of Jesus is to love God and love others. That's our calling. That's our privilege. And so that's idea number one today. Regardless of who we are, our chief aim is to follow the Lord. That is our one goal. If you were with us on Sunday, you would have read where Paul talks about this. In his church, or in the church he was writing to in the, with the Corinthians, people would get married and then realize how much work marriage is, and then they would totally lose focus on Christ and the church. So Paul was pretty much saying, when we looked at 1 Corinthians 7, he said, pretty much, you guys, when you're getting married, you now have another person to be concerned about. You have another person that you need to care for. So, it may be best for some of you to just stay single. It's a pretty simple idea that we looked at. But I can put it, th put it this way. This isn't like a trick or anything. But how many of you have had a friend who's gotten into a relationship? Like a close friend who's gotten into a relationship? Some of you? Okay. Or they start talking to somebody. They start hanging out with them. Okay, number one, it gets awkward especially if they're that PDA couple and they are somehow fine with just kissing right in front of you. But number two, did you ever realize how much less time they, they began spending with you? 
It's like you lost your friend. It sucks. I've been called out on this because I just stopped spending time with important people in my life because somebody else started taking my focus. And it happens. But hopefully you have people around you who love you enough to call you out, and hopefully maybe you are that person for your friend who got into a relationship. But, if, but when we get into a relationship, our priorities just immediately get rearranged. We stop hanging out with friends, homework drops a bit, maybe you work a little bit less, you just want to spend time with this person. But if that happens to, the, to your friends, to your relationships, what happens to your walk with Christ? Most of the time, he ends up pretty low on your list of priorities. Time with him often gets kicked to the curb, especially if he's not a big part of your daily life or walk. I would ask all the time, and I think sometimes I still do, but and many of you have this question, is when can I start dating? When is it a good time? And I do believe Curtis's answer last week was very good. Wait until you have a car, because if your mom has to drive you to the mall so you can go walk around, then it's a play date. But I would add on top of that list, for when you're ready, make your relationship with God a cemented reality in your life. You must first make your time with him a non-negotiable so that no one can take away from that. Imagine if you and that friend who got into a relationship, you had an agreement. Every Friday at 7.30, you're getting coffee at Starbucks. I bet you wouldn't miss that, A, because it's 7.30 and your person you have a crush on probably doesn't want to get up that early, but you're not going to miss that appointment. And it should look the same in our relationship with God. Make an appointment with God every day and stick to it. Make it a non-negotiable. Make it a cemented reality in your life. And once you have that down, and I'm not even perfect about it, you can maybe move on to step two. But remember, you need a car. So point two is, you must love and submit to God before you try to love and submit to a significant other. There's a pretty famous verse that some people are afraid of. Uh, it's been used a lot to hurt. It's been used a lot out of context, but I think we're ready for it. I think we can look at it in its entirety. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 28. So you can pull out your Bibles again, take a look at it. But Paul is writing to the Ephesians church, the Ephesian church, in the uh, similar context as he was writing to uh, the Galatians, or sorry, the Corinthians in the uh, last passage we looked at. In verse 21, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I'm going to save us all the headache of getting too deep into the weeds here. But there are three main commands in this passage. One for wives, one for husbands, and one for them both once they're married. Wives are called to submit to their husbands as they do the Lord. Husbands are called to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then both of them are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is telling them to revere Christ by following the model that he displayed. Those are the three commands. But the common theme with them is that they are all related to our relationship with the Lord. Submit as you do to the Lord. Love as Christ loved the church. So if we want to follow these commands, if we want to uh, use them in our relationships and in our marriages, we must first understand the example that is being set by Christ for us. And the love that is being displayed by Christ is the most sacrificial, the most humbling, the most selfless love that anyone can show. Philippians 2 shows us this humility at length. Verse 6 through 8, Paul even prefaces it that it is our model of how we should be in relationship with anyone around us. Paul says, Philippians 2, verse 6, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient to the point of death on the cross. I have a hard time being obedient with traffic laws. So, I mean, that's impressive in and of itself. But this is the type of love that we must be showing each other. This is why we need to know how to love like God and submit to God before we sign on to love and submit to someone else for the rest of our lives. We've now spent a good bit of time talking about what to do before a relationship. It's kind of come with the assumption that at one point, you, you may get into one, but I also hinted at the beginning that marriage and singleness are both incredibly viable options to live life. In fact, I would even go as far as saying it's okay not to get married, ever. So if we take a look at point number three today, we'll see that sex is not the measure of a good life. 
Hopefully this isn't something that's super hard to grasp at this point. Now that we're in week three, we've talked about this quite a bit. We've spent this time, look, or spent all this time looking at uh, how our number one goal is to follow Jesus. So it makes sense that not having sex or not being in a relationship may not affect how we follow Jesus. The church has been accused a ton in the past uh, due to the really high suicide rates of uh, LGBT identifying youth. Because it looks like the church is saying, you know, you can't, you can't be in a relationship, you can't have sex, and so there's no point in life. Life is pointless at this point. And then it just goes on. But I'm here to tell you that sex and even romantic relationships are not the end-all, be-all of your life. This is a misconception that many of us have adopted. We've, we've adopted this idea that intimacy and true, deep love and affection and fellowship are only found in a romantic, sexual relationship. But this misconception is based on the old, this old stress on, on young people to get married so that they could provide for their families, they could provide for their communities. But it's not necessarily biblical. Let me tell you, as single people, you have just as much opportunity to experience love and affection and fellowship with the people around you, with your brothers and sisters in Christ not just the person that you made eye contact with at the very beginning. But these feelings, this intimacy, this love can come from friendship and fellowship in Christ. And I'm also not talking about the person that is the opposite gender who you're best friends with because they just understand you better. You guys have a crush on each other. It's okay. I'm talking about the intimacy of a deep friendship. There are these two guys in the Bible, David and Jonathan. They were best friends. They met each other in very weird circumstances. But they became best friends. They spent a ton of time together. They deeply, deeply loved each other. But... David was a pretty good-looking fella. He could walk out of 24-hour Israelite fitness, and he, would, he, he, could, he could find someone. He, he could do well. But, and, and at times, he did exercise that ability. But one day, Jonathan died, and in recalling his life, David made a very strange remark about Jonathan. If we take a look at 2 Samuel 1, 25 through 26, it's going to be quick, so you don't have to open it up. Uh, David has just found out about Jonathan's death. And he's crying. He's, uh, he's likely either singing or uh, writing poetry, but he is, he is deeply, deeply mourning. And he says, How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me, 
Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. What David is saying here is that him and Jonathan had this connection. As friends who were so deeply close, that was more than anything that David had ever experienced in the multiple relationships that he was in. He was saying Jonathan provided for him more than any woman ever could. And it's not hitting on the incapability or anything of women. He's saying that Jonathan just provided a deep intimacy. And that's the type of connection that we need to be striving for with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with the people in your small group. So we're not, that way we're not searching for a relationship to just patch a hole that we're trying to fill. Because sex and relationships are not the measure of a good life. And our chief aim is to follow the Lord. And I have a couple thoughts here as I'm finishing up. And I'll invite the worship team up. But we, as a church, as a big C church, have done a lot of work to try and remove the stigma around conversations about sex. That's one of the the big stressors that we are trying to accomplish here by doing loveology. It was this dirty thing that we couldn't really talk about. People kind of felt weird about it. People to this day, we still feel weird about it. You feel weird in your small groups. But we're trying to work on that. But we do need to be careful in a pursuit to remove the uh, shame or stigma around sex to not swing the pendulum so far the other way towards an idolatry of sex. Sex is not the capstone of a good life, nor is a romantic relationship. And if the only thing that you are concerned about is getting into a relationship, is having sex or getting with that cute guy or girl, then you are missing the entire point. I want to encourage you to become content with the season of life that you are in before you go fighting for the next season. Once we're done with worship, there's going to be a couple questions on the screen for you that I want you to think about as you head into groups. So, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this evening. And I thank you for this time that we are able to set aside each week to worship you to reflect on you. I pray for our small groups that we can have conversation that honors you and glorifies you. I thank you for this series and I pray for the panel next week that you will speak through everybody there and they can offer wisdom and insight in each of their stages of life. Lord, we love you and we need you. In your name we pray, amen.